Welcome to the Trip Podcast. We speak with international experts about all things media, but with a special focus on the ongoing transformation with an emphasis on data and user experience. This podcast is part of a larger project commissioned by the Media Industry Research Foundation of Finland to explore how data can be utilized to enhance the customer experience. Your host today is me, Sami, and I'm joined by my co-host Ritva. Our guest for today's episode is Luvisa Baristrom from Dagens Nyheter. As a data scientist, she leads the data and analytics team for them. Pretty exciting. Ritva, what are your hopes for this conversation with Luvisa? I'm keen on knowing how Dagens Nyheter gathers data and how the organization uses it in different ways. I have a feeling that they are doing a really good job with data and uh, now uh, it's fascinating to learn more about it. Indeed it is. Um, so let's uh, jump into it and invite uh, Luvisa here. Hi Luvisa, uh, welcome to our podcast. So happy to ha- have you here with us. To start, can you tell us what your role entails at uh, Dakes Nyheter? Sure, and hi, and uh, thanks for having me. Um, well, yeah, my name is Louisa Bergström. I live in Stockholm, and I started at Dagens Nyheter some six years ago. I've had various roles, both as a data scientist, uh, marketing manager, and commercial lead. And now, as you said, I'm manager for the analytics team at Dagens Nyheter. Yeah, I work closely with the, both the product development team the reader revenue department, and of course also the newsroom. And um, on a daily basis, I'm juggling real-time traffic data, payment data, customer data. Um, we perform A-B tests, take meta data from the newsroom, for example. So on a daily basis, consists of anything from building predictions on future traffic, on our site and apps or working with ad hoc analysis on user behavior for example uh, dashboard development data modeling optimizing product offerings and prices for example on our digital and physical products uh, or improving customer journeys so it's uh, it's really a lot and uh, it's a wide wide range of tasks. Yeah, it's really a lot. We want to know how data actually impacts different aspects of uh, Dagens Nyheter and its processes, especially how it can be used to enhance the reader's experience. The short answer of it is, is probably that data has a key role in the organization. And I believe that most, almost all of the decisions that we make are based on data in some way. We try to get away from from the gut feelings and and turn towards the data and ask the data what to do. And um, I mean, in the in the product development, we work a lot with A/B tests, as I mentioned before. And we have a small cross-functional uh, group that we call the experimentation and growth team, and uh, that works with growth initiatives and product development with a very structured methodology. And um, also, of course, data is is used, for example, within in the newsroom to understand reader behavior and some questions that I pretty often get back to or, or ask myself is what is and and how do we measure 
quality journalism? How do we measure engagement, for example? Um, how do we know what it is that makes the users want to continue their subscription and, and continue to pay for this? Then I think data is at least give us clues on how to answer these questions. And then I think it, it is important to have a holistic view uh, of the user experience and ask questions like this uh, for different people with different roles in the organizations and ask the questions from different angles because that triggers a lot of really interesting discussions. It seems that you really talk a lot about data in Edakes Nyheter in different levels. Am I right? We do. And we try to yeah make it accessible and, and transparent with the data and the numbers. Maybe also to not just, I mean, we do have a lot of data. We, we produce millions of page views every day uh, and have hundreds of thousands users every week, even millions. Uh, of course, there's also a risk to like get stuck in the data overflow. I mean, you can gain so much information, but you have to filter it and you have to sometimes take one step back and, and think about, okay, but what does this really say to me? And what's the analysis, not just the numbers? So I think data in combination with some domain knowledge and some analysis and maybe some qualitative numbers or data could be really useful in combination. Would you then say Dagens Nyheter is a data-driven organization? Well, yes and no. <laughs> uh, we usually refer to ourselves as data-informed rather than data-driven, as other companies uh, in, in journalism and news media. Even though we sell services online, we're not like any other e-commerce company uh, because our journalistic integrity and our journalistic values will and should always come in first place. And so we make sure that the, the editors have, uh, the editors and the reporters and the developers, they have all the data that they need, but it's still our responsibility to make sure that the mix of articles uh, is fair and that, that we give a picture to the readers that is true and balanced. For example, I mean, if it would steer 100% on short-term maximization of the, of the reader revenues, for example, then would probably write 100 out of 100 articles about Donald Trump and none of Joe Biden. Uh, but we cannot do that because that's not our, our main purpose. <laughs> we want to also give a true and balanced picture of the society and the world. I guess that's the, the main purpose of all news media. So, yeah, that's why we would rather refer to, to like, data-informed rather than data-driven. Of course, it's a little bit easier to, to be like more data-driven maybe if we look outside the newsroom uh, when it comes to decision that doesn't have to do with content. Um, if it's an A-B test on colors on a button or whatever, then of course it's easier to, to just go for the uh, or just listen to the data. Um, but I still think that uh, we have to have this trust and integrity somewhere in the background and and that affects all all the decisions in some way. How different is it to work with the different departments? Let's say you're working for the editorial bit or you're working for the sales department. Yeah, how does it differ? The uh, Even though the kind of data that I, I work with 
might differ for different departments. It all drills down or most of it drills down to engagement and understanding quality and time spent and what is it that makes the user want to, to pay for a subscription at our newspaper. Whether you have an editorial question or editorial perspective of that or a more business perspective on the question, it's often a combination of the same data in that case. Then you probably need to to look into both user behavior and traffic data and also information about what subscription you have and maybe um, information about who you are as a subscriber, if we can use that. Somehow I heard that you put very much uh, customer in the center. You come uh, always what the customer gets from this app. Uh, is this true? I would like to say yes, but I think everyone can Im- improve on that. For us, it's pretty easy to be user-centric or reader-centric because our readers are so engaged in our product that they email us and tell us what's good and not that good and they are really emotionally attached to the product and uh, I think for a lot of people Dungsnyter has a really special place in in the reader's heart (laughs) so it's easy to uh, like have them in mind when uh, developing and when analyzing their behaviors we can probably improve a lot but and yeah one thing that we did and will continue with is uh, doing in-depth analysis or in-depth interviews um, with subscribers. Uh, I think it was the uh, head of editorial development that spent the entire autumn to interview a large number of subscribers and try to figure out what they liked about their subscription, yeah, possible improvements and and so on. So we try to combine both qualitative and, and quantitative analytics. It's a great place to be in uh, people's heart, re- your reader's heart. Uh, it's difficult to get, but when you are there, you, you should be very happy. Uh, of course, it's important to understand customers and readers. The other thing is how you can get uh, journalists to understand data to find out that they get some benefit out of it. So you have been working as a data scientist in editorial for a bit, right? How do you get journalists interested in or even excited about data? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. First of all, I would say that reporters are the most competitive people that I've ever met. Uh, and I guess that's one key. If you can measure it, then you can also compete in it. And uh, <laughs> by like setting up targets and um, finding maybe other news media that you can compete against. Uh, it's a really good uh, trick you can use <laughs> if you want to to make them work for your tar- targets. Uh, but we also talk a lot and um, I sit down with all the um, uh, sections in the newsroom. I think we have 14 of them, like the sports and the economy and opinion and culture, for example. And we sit down, we talk a lot I try to make them think about what the data tells them, what their views is on how to improve their work or how we can reach out to more people or how to make their stories read longer or people spend more time on them. So I would say maybe in the beginning it it was harder to come with the data and say, okay, you should work uh, with this, you should use this data. But in the end, all 
reporters are really eager to understand how to make their journalism being spread and read. So by saying that, okay, if you do like this or if you write about that, that would probably help you to to reach a new audience or to raise the engagement among your readers. So I think most of them see the the value of data now. What kind of tools have you been building to help them to understand data better? A lot, probably more than they need. But <laughs> uh, well, I guess the main tool is a dashboard. We have a lot of them, both uh, data studio dashboards. I think it's now called Looker Studio dashboards, but like a Google platform dashboard thing. And we also do develop our own dashboards that we like code from scratch on our own. So you can, from an article, if you if you are using the the Wi-Fi in the newsroom, then you can go from from the article on, on the Dagens Nyheter website, click on a bookmarked tag in your browser and then you can get all the statistics that you need for that special article for example you can get the the page views and the conversions and how long it's been read and also page views and conversions over time and how they are affected on different changes that you do to the uh, article for example if you change the title of it or you change the picture how does that affect the clicks to the article for example um so that's one i think really good dashboard and tool that they make to or use to uh, follow up their work but we also do some slack bots and email bots for example we built a couple of years ago a gender bot that is uh, measuring the uh, male and female mentions in a uh, text that you have written. So you get a percentage. Of, for example, you have maybe 30% of the mentions that you have in your text during the last week is female mentions. The average of Dagens Nyheter in total is 40%. So that's one thing to to raise awareness about gender equality or maybe inequality in the, in the journalism. Uh, can you tell us something what has changed inside editorial based on the tools you have offered them? How how did journalism change or the Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Good question. Well, one thing I that got a better reputation or status is uh, the uh, all kinds of article that has to do with like this soft things like or soft things like uh, when we write about feelings and love, family life, those that might traditionally would have been seen as women topics or family topics. I mean, when when we look into the data, then we see that that's really material that converts very well, as well as being read like people spend a lot of time on that material. So that is probably one thing that is got a, a good race in status. <laughs> data has helped them uh, discover that these topics will be uh, appreciated from uh, readers. Is uh, You mentioned that uh, you help uh, journalists also to understand uh, quality. Uh, w- w- how, you, how you do that? What sort of tools or uh, how data can help journalists understand quality better? That's... Uh... A question that I spent a lot of time to think of, uh, and I still don't have the answer to it. Uh, I think that quality means uh, different things to different people. And I mean, ex- if you don't 
ask them. You you really don't know, but you try to find metrics that can give you small clues to what quality is to them. But for example, I mean, time spent and how much of the article that you have read is probably one important clue on at least how valuable it is to you. But you shouldn't draw too much of conclusions from that because it could also mean, of course, that the article or the text is written in a very difficult language or just uh, that it has conclusions that is so difficult to understand. So you have to read it twice or, or something like that. But I think that when we, we talk about engagement on a user level, we usually talk about like the recency frequency volume model. I don't know if you've heard about it, the RV model. It's it's commonly used among many different New streams, I think. And we we know it, but for the benefit of our listeners, maybe you can explain uh, what it is. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, from a user perspective, then we we look about the recency means when did we see you last time, and the more recent, the higher you score. Then there's the the frequency part means that if we look at a, a certain period of time, how many visits have you made during that period. And then there's the volume part. Um, and during that, uh, the same period of time, how many articles or, or how many page views have you made? And then there's a form- formula. I don't really have it in right now in my mind, but it's something like you divide the frequency and the volume and divide it with the square root of the, um, the recency or something like that. Uh, and then you get a, a score on each user. And uh, at least it's a score that can be used so you can segment users and make the score relative towards other users. So, for example, we can use that in order to see the engagement of users on different products or with different offers or different subscription lengths, for example. And then we can also target those people and maybe if you have like a decreasing engagement then you can email them and ask if something's wrong or <laughs> see if you would like to get the journalism in any other way maybe you want to have a newsletter instead or maybe you just want tips on how to start your new uh, habits with Dorian's Nyheter for example yeah so then that's a good score I think but on a user level and um, on an article level then we mostly look at uh, time spent I would say. Uh, just to clarify, when you talk about conversions, uh, we are talking about some sort of subscription being made during that session, right? Yeah, exactly. It's a conversion is a, an order being made or a subscription started through the, the paywall. Right. Okay. Yeah, and I, I guess you also follow it by article or not. Yes. Yeah, we do. Yeah. I'm also curious, could you please um, elaborate a little bit about how you think about engagement? Yes, and the reason for why we want to look at engagement is that the correlation of engagement and the uh, expected lifetime value of you as a subscriber is is really correlated. So the more you use the product, I mean, it makes sense if you think about it, the more you use the product, the longer you will stay probably. So by making the user or the reader uh, come and have one article extra 
spend a minute extra every day or um, make one extra visit <laughs> every week um, makes the uh, the probability that you will churn and quit your subscription lower. So that is why we we um, look uh, a lot at it and and follow it. But and and I mean that in the end, the the longer we get the users to stay and pay for a subscription, the more digital revenues we get from from the readers and the more we can invest in the journalism. So it's, um, I mean, it goes around. <laughs> if we can make good journalism, the, the users stay longer, then we can make even better journalism. So it all goes back to that. Makes sense. Would you like to summarize the most important metrics and methods you use to track user engagement, but also user experience? By looking into the uh, what article that performs well in, in different metrics is is one way to get an overview of the journalism that most readers take part of right now. And for example, we have dashboards that shows what articles has the most page views and conversions and the longest reading time, the longest read percentage, meaning how how much of the each article that the users spend on average. But we also do follow the the RFV score that I mentioned before, the customer engagement score. And we closely monitor the um, metrics like average page view per user, average uh, visits per week per user, for example, and those kind of metrics related to engagement and how much time you spend and how many visits and and so on yeah what about qualitative methods uh, do you use any of those yes but more on an ad hoc maybe once or or twice per year we do the, these in-depth interviews um that i mentioned before and um, sometimes we we do use tools uh, where you can write write comments on different features that we have launched on, on our site. Yeah, so you can write short answers to whether you like a new feature or not, or, or a current feature. Okay. And uh, what about the CSAT, MPS, or other customer satisfaction metrics? Oh, yeah. Mm, well, we do use it, but only on our customer service right now. Um, so how satisfied you are with, with the help that you get but not on our product or the the journalism. But it's an interesting thought. And, and I know that we've had thoughts about doing tests about that. So yeah, maybe in the future. <laughs> How about you've been, of course, following user behavior for a long time. How has it changed? Yeah, that's, um, that's a really interesting question, actually. And and uh, I mean, the last couple of years have, uh, we've seen some pretty big changes in the, in the reader behaviors and probably due to many different factors or reasons. But for example, to start with, during the uh, the COVID pandemic, when people started to work from home, then we saw a huge increase in desktop use, for example. So people that brought their desktop to their home offices and started to use the desktop, we lost like the morning commute readings in the mornings. And instead we had a desktop readings before lunch and in the afternoons instead, so during working hours, basically. 
So probably yes, as an effect of having more digital meetings or, or at least more people working with digital tools during days, then the uh, the use of screens in the evenings rather declined and were uh, less than before the pandemic. So it was a uh, we saw signs of screen fatigue and people uh, were tired of using the screens in in the afternoons and in the evenings. After a while, we saw some news fatigue. I think. Many news media companies have experienced something like that as well. They probably were just tired of just being or getting uh, news about the, the pandemic and, and the um, a lot of sad news, basically. So, so that changed the behaviors a lot. But on the other hand, we've also grown our subscription base a lot during the last couple of years. And that also affects the... Um, the overall or the average use of the uh, the products that we have. So a lot more logged in users and a lot more app users tend to do more visits per day, more page views, more active days per week. And they have a higher engagement in, in general. And uh, that, of course, also affects the, um, the user behaviors on average. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about logged in users specifically? Well, 80% of the page views are logged in. So um, it's the majority and it probably has to do that. Uh, we do use paywalls. So if you're not a logged in user or you're not a subscriber, then you cannot access uh, everything uh, or not very much. Uh, so uh, that's probably the reason for that. But of course, we also like to keep the um, logged in users, even though you aren't a subscriber, you can be logged in. And the reason for that is, is that we want to, or the data quality goes up a lot if we can follow you on each and every device that you use. So if you are logged in, then we can connect uh, the behavior that you have on your app and your site usage and, and connect that to you as a user. So that's a good thing. And also you get some access to some extra features like you can sign up on newsletters and you can uh, follow tags and you can uh, yeah, save articles, for example. Cool. Uh, the brief for our research project uh, of which this podcast is one part is to figure out different ways of uh, using data to improve the customer experience. Uh, we've been reading that you built an app for users who don't want to see advertisement. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, well, the I would say that the, the ad-free subscription that we started back in 2020, the um, I think the reason for why we started it was the digital news report by Reuters Institute that showed that about 15% of the news consumers would choose an ad-free subscription as a reason to subscribe and pay for online news. And also we had a, a Swedish study from 2020 also that showed that 80% of the people in general thought that ads were irritating and annoying. And, and 70% of them said that they were willing to pay an additional fee uh, to skip ads. So I thought, okay, but that, that might be a good upsell alternative then and something that we wanted to try. So um, we launched it to Dagens product offering. And so like an add-on product, we uh, 
calculated the uh, like how much should the uh, the customer pay extra in order to both cover the loss of ad revenues that we would have had otherwise, and also um, of course it's a like you pay for for the the value of it, not just potential loss of ad revenues. But yeah, so we launched it, and I would say we didn't do much marketing about it, but we did got some people to try it but it was pretty highly priced i would say so um, it didn't get that many subscribers i think now three years in soon we have uh, about a thousand subscribers paying extra for ad free subscriptions so it's not a, a huge product at all but it was interesting to launch it and to, to see the uh, the reactions. How do you value it uh, in Dragon's New Head? Did you have new customers, new readers through it? Uh, what is the value of this ad-free app? Yeah, well, I think it's mostly current subscribers that bought it and added it on their current subscription. So, so it's not really that in that we got a lot of new new readers from it. But it's also a good thing when people write to our customer service and complain and say that they don't like our ads, then we actually have an offer uh, for them. Uh, but but you have to pay for it, but you can choose to go ad-free. It's cool. And you, then you are listening your readers again. You are sort of like uh, giving them uh, different possibilities to join uh, Duck's new header. Besides of uh, this app, Can you think of some other examples that you worked on which were uh, heavily uh, influenced by data and by insights collected through data? Yeah. Well, what we did a couple of years ago as well was uh, we call it a search engine optimization calendar or a search calendar. That was quite a... I think what we did was to try to find topics that were distinct or or really characterized a special month of the year. And what we wanted to do is to find topics that are close to people's, like present in people's mind and different parts of the year and try to understand how we can use that information in order to write about things that feels really relevant and use that in order to plan a little bit in advance as well. And so we used both Google data or search data from Google, got help with that. Also used search terms on our own web page, some more sources, and then we crunch the data and find topics and feelings and events that were characterizing different months of the year basically so and then we got like a word cloud uh, for every month so for example in january lots of people want to do renovations and uh, like um, improvements to your home you do private economy and how to save money also how to start working out and find healthy new habits and yeah so it's a long list of things that are present in in people's minds and uh, i think that was a fun thing for the the newsroom to start to think uh, when should we do what kind of journalism and what feels relevant uh, right now how it was accepted in uh, newsrooms pretty good i think <laughs> it was a really visual tool uh, that we're supposed to just give inspiration rather than saying you should do this and more like okay this is a inspirational <laughs> word cloud uh, use it 
in any way you want to, but it might give you ideas um, what to do with it. As a follow-up to that, you seem to put a lot of weight into the usability of the internal tools. I'm thinking of the bookmarklet tool you mentioned earlier. Do you also track the usage of them? Yeah, we have a dashboard of dashboards, so you can see how how the dashboards are used. Um, of course, and sometimes I do, or sometimes, yeah, not not that often, but sometimes at least, I do. Uh, I give polls, and I can vote. Like, have you used this tool during the last month? And sometimes you realize, okay, this wasn't a really successful one. Maybe you can shut it down or see how we can improve it. So. Um, uh, thank you. Now, uh, maybe we can jump into how you work in Douglas New Header. And uh, you build multifunctional teams. Can you describe the skills and competencies of such uh, team members? How you build these teams? Yeah, I referred to the, the quiz app before, I think. But depending on what project that we have or what initiative we want to work with right now, then different skills and competences can take part in the team. Most of the time we, we do have some representatives from the newsroom. It could be editors or planning editors. It could also be sometimes reporters, of course. And from the product development side, um, user experience and design, developers, analytics, of course, as well. And from the business perspective, depending on, on the project, then marketing and business people would also be a part of the project. So it's um, not really that we have this multifunctional teams all the time. So they rather gather around different projects. Uh, but but you do have an organizational uh, belonging, um, everyone. So you either belong to the um, analytics team or the, the, uh, the reader revenue team, for example. Okay, interesting. Uh, do you share a common language in these groups? Because I've noticed that, uh, for example, be, uh, journalists uh, and uh, tech teams, they do have a different language and sometimes they do have uh, difficulties to understand what they mean <laughs> uh, between each other. So how, how you tackle this question? Yeah, I think we are, we get used to, to work with each other, so it's not a problem anymore. But of course, we do have some some words that might be tricky to understand or so, but we gather around, I mean, we gather and do check-ins every morning with representatives from all, all parts of the organization and talk about the journalism, we talk about the product and we talk about the, the business. So by these meetings, I think we start to find a common language already there. So it's not a huge problem, I think. You have to value the different skills and competences that everyone brings to the project. So if you do that, I think it's um, also easy to, uh, or everyone needs their own language. And, and if you are really skilled, then you are probably also able to to explain the words and the language that you use to your colleagues. Yeah. So you have, I, I guess you have come a quite a long way uh, because it takes time to sort of see uh, all these different layers and perspectives uh, that people can put on the table and work together. So it takes some time. Do you, do you have some uh, sort of a exiling kind of uh, uh, method as well in, inside Jakes Newheader? 
Um, yeah, we do uh, work with agile principles. Yes, we we send our leaders and managers to agile skill trainings and follow the agile methodology as much as we can, of course, and do um, design thinking, for example, and um, work with also some parts of the Scrum methodology and like it put at least we pick parts of it that that fits our organization well. I mean, yeah, we we are a tech company. <laughs> in many senses so <laughs> definitely <laughs> i can see <laughs> definitely uh, also congratulations because we understood that uh, you made huge profit uh 2022 21 million and and uh, as far as i we understood it's based on uh growth of uh, digital subscriptions so how did uh, this happen i think we have um it's a, a really long term investment in in the newsroom i think one reason that we we got a really good result but uh, it was like in the same level as the year before and one reason that we didn't think we're higher than the year before was that we invested a lot in the newsroom so the money that we make goes back to the newsroom uh, i think by striving to be better do better journalism um do investments and and try new projects, formats and ways to report, then we yeah, strive to be better and do better content as well as building better better services, apps and site. And of course also we have a really uh, great reader re revenue department that follow the uh, the numbers and the business closely, work with churn prediction efforts and uh, try new ways and sales channel and uh, try to understand how to make the, the readers more engaged and stay longer to increase the, the lifetime value of each uh, user. Uh, so a lot of it has to do with, I would say, the, the reader revenue, the digital, um, the digital business, a good and solid uh, journalistic product. The digital revenue that we, or just the revenue from the digital part of the business, um, is enough to cover the costs of the newsroom. So so we can actually, if we would like to, um, uh, shut down the, the print paper and, and still um, like manage our costs. But uh, still the, uh, the print, even though um, it has huge costs with it, it's still profitable. And yeah, we don't see the end of the print subscription. Uh, or the print printed paper yet, so I'm I'm happy for that because I I like the printed version, but it it, it is also two very different user experiences, <laughs> like the digital one and and the printed one, and that is also something that you need to realize that that the digital product is something that competes with your screen time and competes with Instagram and Facebook and YouTube and and whatever you do on your phone, so did. The digital product is has like different competitors than the printed one. It's um, interesting to think about, uh, and the the challenge is also to to make the readers create the habits that is so maybe easier 
to create with a printed version because you get it to your home every day and it lies there and you get reminded of it and you read it you probably share it with your partner or you like you have your habits with with the physical paper but we have to create habits also with the digital one uh, and that is tricky <laughs> but um, still we can learn a lot from other uh, subscription services and and maybe social media and how to be addictive. Great. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> now uh, I will hand it over to you, Sami. Would you like to ask one more question? Yeah, yeah sure. So if we look forward and uh, want to develop uh, healthy, good data cultures in media companies and newsrooms, what would you suggest we all should be busy with? What's strikes me often is how the reader behavior constantly changes um, since the, the reader or the subscription base changes then the behaviors also change so in order to keep up with those changes we cannot rely on old facts we need to learn and challenge and uh, keep on trying new ways in order to to constantly improve and uh, learn from the data i think um because old truths uh, get old <laughs> pretty fast nowadays <laughs> that's uh, that's true and coincidentally our previous guest uh, ended his podcast with very similar sentiments. So I think we're on to something here. But yeah, hey, uh, Louisa, thank you very, very much. This was awesome. Uh, uh, we learned so much. Thank you, Samir Lipa. Thank you so much. Okay, Ritva, uh, what do you think? It is really good. And I really like the way how Louisa told us how to use data to make journalism better. So my first takeaway what, uh, is what she said, uh, that it's important to get readers engaged around the Dakes Nuheter journalism, because then they get uh, more subscriptions. And she said that all the money goes back to the newsroom. They want to make more not exactly more, but better journalism. Uh, what about you, Sami? Uh, what What are your takeaways from this discussion? Yes, I absolutely agree with what you said. It's interesting and probably wise to invest the profits you make back in the newsroom since we are in a moment where we constantly need to evolve and, and find new ways of uh, being relevant for our readers and our users. And and overall, I, I really like this uh, interview. I, I like to listen to her. She's a person that thinks while she talks. And uh, yeah, she has a lot of uh, nice, nice things to say. Another thing that struck me was that usually you get silos in organizations. So you have the marketing department, they're busy with their thing. You have the sales department, then you have your, your editorial. They're only sort of focused on, on what they do. But it somehow seemed like the way Louisa was thinking about it was much more holistic. So, which is the only way really to make it work. So uh, either it's Louisa that she's um, just a very enlightened uh, person in the, in the organization, or then it says something about the culture at Dagens Nyheter. I, I think it's probably a bit of both. But yeah, it was inspiring and something that we all could learn from, I'm, I am sure. 
Yeah, I do agree. And I first thought it's about common language because I have had that idea that we need to have a common language to talk, for example, between journalists and also tech people, coders, so on. But she sort of uh, didn't really see it's a problem. I think it comes from the culture. I think they have really had people understand that it's really the reader they have to serve. Indeed, and uh, it uh, really opened my eyes uh, how far Dagens Nyheter is in this process. I did not know that before. Okay, uh, I think this was it. Uh, Hope to see you again in a couple of weeks. Yes.